Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Daigle Bites ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. Hey, y'all. Welcome to the Daigle Bites podcast. I'm your host, Lauren Daigle. I'm a singer that hails from the deep swamps of Louisiana. I ventured my way up to Nashville to take the risk of jumping in on the pipe dream of singing on stages other than the ones I grew up seeing. Along this journey, I wrote a song called You Say, and what came next absolutely changed my life. I found myself in tour buses, singing on stages all over the world, and every single night I would get asked the question, what would Lauren Daigle be doing if she hadn't pursued music? Well, this season of Daigle Bites is answering just that, and I'm bringing you along with me on this adventure. I'm inviting new friends that I've just met and old friends that I've known for a long time to come and explore what it is like to pursue their passions. I know that they've inspired me, and I'm sure that they will probably do the exact same thing for you. So my absolute hope is that as you're sitting and you're listening, you then too can be inspired. You then too can ask the question, what is it that I would love to do with my life? And maybe along the way, you'll find steps to making that happen. So pull up a seat. Join us in the conversation. You have a place here. This is the Dago Bites podcast on Amazon Music. This next guest is an absolute champion. At just 16 years old, he finished sixth in the 100-meter backstroke and fourth in the 200-meter backstroke at the U.S. Olympic trials. With a couple of gold medals under his belt now, I'd say he is making his teenage self pretty proud. Our next guest is Olympic gold medalist swimmer Ryan Murphy. In his Olympic debut in Rio, Ryan won three gold medals, sweeping the backstroke events and helping the U.S. win gold in the 4x100-meter relay, where his backstroke leadoff set a world record. In 2017, he turned pro. At the Tokyo Olympics, Ryan captured a gold medal and set a world record as a part of the United States winning men's 4x100 medley relay team. Outside of his long list of accomplishments, what I really loved about this conversation with Ryan was his insight on the mindset during his training and how he handles the pressure. His ability to stay grounded, focused, and motivated is really a wonder to experience. And on a more personal note, Ryan is passionate about giving every young child the opportunity to learn how to swim and being a role model for young swimmers. I love that in all of his free time, pun intended, he still finds time to give back. While Olympic gold medals may have never been the path for me, obviously, my level of agility is at a flat zero. I took gymnastics when I was a little kid for a couple years and loved it. Uneven bars was my absolute favorite event. I wish I could do that nowadays. It would be a much different scene. While the Olympics were never destined to be a part of my journey, I'm definitely living vicariously through Ryan in this conversation. Well, y'all are in for a treat on this one. Here is my conversation with Olympic swimmer Ryan Murphy. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the show. Our next guest, Olympic swimmer Ryan Murphy. Ryan, thank you so much for being here. I'm so glad that you took time to come and sit with us on Dago Bites. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for having me. When, when Right before we got on, one of your producers was like, oh, Lauren's over. She's having a bite right now. And I'm like, God, that is that is just right on brand. Lauren bites, Daigle bites. I'm like, that's, that's, that's perfect. That's actually hysterical. I heard him say that and I didn't even put two and two together. That's amazing. Yeah. I love food. I'm like a food junkie. Like 
People say all the time, if you weren't doing music, what would you be doing? I, I just say eating. Something yeah. <laughs> that involves eating. Maybe cooking if I have to, but definitely food. I love it so much. Do you get to travel and like eat eat different exotic foods and stuff, like being in all these crazy countries? Yeah, I mean, definitely like when when the meets are over, when the competition's over, we'll we'll try to do something nice. And and I've got my my go-tos on the team, like guys that are that are kind of of the same like thought process. Like let's yeah. let's go out, let's have a great meal, let's try something different. And so we'll do that after the meet, before the meet, like it's, you're, you're pretty dialed in. Like we're, we're pretty mm-hmm. regimented with the nutrition. So, so going out, trying something new, isn't necessarily in the cards. Cause it's like, you never yeah. know how, how the body's going to react, you. but definitely after. And especially as we've gotten older, we've, we've started to extend these trips a little bit more on, on the back end and, and make sure that we're actually enjoying the places we get to go see. Yeah. Life's too short you really realize what a luxury it is to get to travel. It's such a, a beautiful oh, yeah. gift, especially for something you're, you're passionate about. Where did your, yeah. your passion begin? So I, I'm the youngest of, of three. So I was always, I have an older brother, older sister. So I was always kind of just chasing them and, and really specifically my brother, because he's, he's two and a half years older than me. So everything he did, I did it as well. So at a young age, he started swimming and then Two years later, I was allowed to to start in our in our summer league, and then it was it was fun. Like it was fun to 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 get into a sport and to start seeing a little bit of success. I think in in every sport, like they're all they're all so different. Like the nuances of a of a team sport versus a more individual sport. And so I was I was really drawn to swimming just because it was it was individualized. Like the 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 consequences were a little bit greater. I felt like than than in a team sport where in a team sport, if I played bad, someone else could play incredible and then the team wins. And it's like, that's a, that's a lot of mixed emotions In swimming. It's pretty black and white. Like if you, if you're doing good, you're doing good. If you're doing bad, like it's, it's all on, it's on you. And so I was, I was really drawn to that. And it, and it did start to develop a lot more as I, as I got into grade school and, and I started to realize how much like the, the day-to-day training could, could impact a performance. What does that look like, the training process? So you, you're in grade school at that young of an age. How much are you training? Do you know, hey, I'm set for the Olympics or does it take so- someone sitting down and saying, this is what it will require if you really want to pursue it? Yeah, I mean, I think, there, I mean, I think there's kind of like infinite number of paths that, that can get mm-hmm. you there. Uh, I think in, in terms of my story, I was doing everything. Like I was doing soccer, baseball, football, and swimming. So at that point, I started swimming year round when I was seven. So I was probably going like three days a week, just with the, all the other practices. It was hard to do more than that. Then once I turned 12, that's when I gave up the other sports. So kind of the same time you were thinking you wanted to be an Olympic gymnast. That's when I was like, all right, I want to, I want to go for, for the swimming all in. And then it was, it was five days a week. So five practices a week. And then once you get to high school, you start adding on morning practices so by junior year, I was going nine practices a week. And you're having to get up before school to practice, then go to school, and then come back home and practice? Yeah. Looking, I mean, looking back, like these days were ridiculous because we'd go 5.30 to 7.30 morning practice. <laughs> and the pool was at, was at the high school. So that was, I mean, that was great. So then I'd go straight to class, swim again from 3.15 to 6.15, and then go home. So those days I'd, I'd be at the high school from 5.30 to 6.15. 
Dang. Yeah, and so that was Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and then Tuesday, Thursday, no morning practice, but still at the school from from 8 a.m. to, to 6.15. And you grew up in Jacksonville or outside of Jacksonville, is that yeah, correct? Yeah, yeah, Jacksonville, Florida. That is incredible, the dedication. My dad was waking me up at like 6.30 a.m. just to get me to school, whereas you're having to wake up at like 5 a.m. to get to school to start practicing. Did you ever feel like you were losing yourself or losing your youth? I don't know about you, but sometimes in my adult years, I look at mm-hmm. some of the things that I forfeited younger and think, huh, I wonder if there was an exchange that was made. Do you for ever sure. feel like you lost your youth in a way? Oh, for sure. For sure. I think uh, like where my frustration with swimming kind of came to a head was was probably around age 12, 13. So right after I'd given up the other sports and, and I was going all at swimming, I got really frustrated that year just because you're you're starting to swim on Saturday mornings. So you're not really like your friends are inviting you to sleepovers on, on Friday nights and, and you're starting to turn that down. Or if you go to the sleepover, you're getting picked up at, at 6.30 a.m. So you're getting like not, not a ton of sleep and then you're just exhausted the, the rest of the weekend. So it definitely was frustrating, but I kind of got to the point where I, where I started to reframe it. It's like, if I'm not going to be going super hard at swimming, like I'm going to be going super hard at something else, whether that's academics or, or a club or the arts and singing like that, I would be going really hard at that. So it was, it was really just like, that's, that's kind of my personality. Like I Mm want to have something that I want to be the best at. And I I really just kind of started to lean into that. What was your upbringing like to produce that within you? That's fascinating. You were, you were kind of a high driver from mm-hmm. the start. Well, I, I think I think the first thing is is kind of being the youngest. Like my my older brother was was always super smart, super athletic. So I was like, all right, I, I want to try to I, I want to try to outdo Patrick. That was that was kind of my goal. And then the other thing is is my parents are are relatively young. Like they they had me right around the age of thirty. So like they didn't really have the opportunity to. To, to get super far in their careers before they had us. So we, I watched them kind of grind throughout childhood to be comfortable financially. And, and I think that I think that you kind of pick up on that as a child. And it's like, all right, like I see that my parents working their butt off, like that, that just kind of gets instilled in you. And then kind of the, the academic side, I, I think my parents really pushed that as well. So like, if it was totally up to me, I would have just been all, all sports all the time. Uh, and then my parents are like, no, like you are going to mm-hmm. get good grades. You're going to work really hard in school. And, and so I kind of got into this mode where like the motivation started feeding itself. It's like getting a good grade in the classroom gives you some confidence, gives you some motivation to then take to the swimming pool. You start to see some success in the swimming pool and it's like, all right, let's match that in the classroom. And you just start kind of again, getting some momentum going. So that's my theory. Yeah, but I don't know. I don't know if, if you have a different experience that that you could you could try to explain it in a better way. No, I completely relate. My we went to a college preparatory school mm-hmm. almost my whole life, and we didn't have a great athletic program, but we did have a very strong academic program. And I laugh because I tell my my parents at sixteen, "Mom, Dad, thank you so much for all that you've poured into my education." I don't want to go to college. <laughs> and like, but when I realized the things that I gained going through that schooling process, 
I think we probably grew up in very similar environments, strong academic school. It's a, it is such a privilege. I, I care so much about the youth coming up now that might not have similar opportunities. And I've, I read where you were a part of encouraging like safety awareness and stuff in water, some of the philanthropic things that you get to be a part of. You want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and I think like as I like as I've started to have a little bit more success in swimming and, and started to have a little bit more of a platform that that people will listen to, like one of the things that I've really tried to communicate, I've always been passionate about it, but but now I feel like I'm in a I'm in a place that, that I could actually make an impact. So so I am really passionate about about getting kids into sports and, and really getting kids in the water. I think swimming has swimming's provided me majority of, of mm-hmm. my best memories, whether that be on a, on a career accomplishment side, but then also things like going on a boat and going tubing with their friends, going to the beach. Those are things that, that I love doing. And you can't do that unless you know how to swim. So I think it's really important to, to, to kind of spread that message, but then also spread the kind of like the, the severity of, of learning how to swim. Drowning is the second leading cause of death for, for kids under five. Wow. Uh, and, and it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of surprising. I don't think people would necessarily know that. And so that, that led me to, to partner with a company called Goldfish Swim School. So they're, they're pushing through 100,000 kids in swim lessons per week. They're introducing what? the gift of swimming. Yeah, they have, they have oh over 100 gosh. franchises across the U.S. So, so they're pushing through a ton of kids in, in the water, teaching them how to swim. And, and there's no pressure on it. Like they're not saying, you've got to, you've got to choose swimming. Like you've, you've got to be really good at it. It's just like, you have to learn how to swim. It's a skill you need to know. And I think that's, that really aligns with, with the way I think about the sport uh, and, and think about the skill of knowing how to swim. That's amazing. I love your heart and the outreach process. Okay, let's jump back. Let's go to you're in high school and you're graduating. Mm-hmm. Did you immediately go to UC Berkeley? Was it kind of a fast transition? Yeah, yeah. So so graduated in May of, of 2013 from, from high school. And then I was out here in, in August of 2013. Okay. So yeah, quick, quick transition. And that was a really fun time. I think it was it was definitely kind of a, a leap of faith, like moving across the country, moving away from my family, who I who I am really close with, and just kind of going for it. Like I didn't really know the guys that that were in my recruiting class. So like the guys that that were on the swim team with me, like that's like that's our fraternity. Like the mm-hmm. the guys that are on the swim team, like those are those are the guys I'm around all the time, live with them hang out with them on the weekends. I didn't know any of those guys in my grade. So it was definitely uh, kind of just a, a leap out there, but, but probably the best decision I ever made. Your first Olympics was Rio. Yes. But when did you have to start basically trying out? When were your trials? Yeah, so, so the first Olympic trials I went to was in 2012. Okay. So that was, that was in between my, my junior and senior year of high school. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So a lot of people qualify for Olympic trials. I think there's like 1500 swimmers at the meet, but only top two make it per event. Mm -hmm. So that 1500, it kind of breaks down where there's about a hundred people that qualify for each event at Olympic trials to go on to the Olympics. You have to be top two. So there's a, there's a lot of heats, Dang. but going into that year, my, my coach was like, all right, like Ryan, I, I want you to treat this year 
like you've got a shot to make the Olympic team because that's where I think your talent lies. So I was sitting there as a, as a junior in high school listening to him say this, and I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm honestly like, I, I, I don't really believe you. you know, like I, I didn't necessarily have that confidence in myself yet. But going throughout the year, I was like, all right, like I'll, I'll go all in on this. I'll, I'll train really hard, see, see what happens. So throughout the year, it was just week by week, kind of putting my head down, grinding, got a little bit better, a little bit better, a little bit better. Get to Olympic trials. I dropped like two seconds in 100 back, which is a, that's a ton in, in 100 uh, in swimming. And I dropped like two and a half in the 200. Ended up getting fourth in the 200 back and sixth in the 100 back. And, and so that's, I mean, it's, it's not, it's not like I was like right there, but I mm-hmm. was, I was close. I was actually pretty close to making the team. So that was a big, uh, that was a big shock for me. I was like, holy cow. Like I, I swam great. And, and that was, it was close enough that I'm like, yeah, I mean, I, I think I could get there. And, and it really just kind of fed the motivation of like, all right, four years from now in 2016, I'm, I'm going to be, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be, I'm going to be all in. 100% ready and, and see what I could do. Okay. So that was in between junior and senior year. Of and high then school. Yeah. Of high school. What was the pressure like to be in high school, but no, this is not a world scale versus just like mm-hmm. my local community or even nationals. Well, it's, it's tough. I mean, I think, uh, I think as, as you grow up, it's just like your, your pond keeps on getting bigger. And, and so that's kind of how I thought of it. Like, when I started swimming, it was just the the summer league. So my like little like River City swim league, like, all right, let's try to be the best in my age group there. And then it's like, all right, let's try to be the best in in the city. Let's try to be the best in the state. Let's try to be the best in the country for my age. And then you get to Olympic trials and now age doesn't matter. Like mm-hmm. you, you could make the Olympic team at age like 13. If you're good enough, you can make it at the age of 80 if wow. you're good enough. Wow. It's just, there's, there's no, yeah, there's no age restriction there. It's just top two in the U S. And so that was, that was kind of a, that's kind of an interesting position to be in. Cause I'm sitting there, I'm 16. I've got like no muscles, uh, mm-hmm. or, or anything. And I'm, I'm standing next to guys that are absolutely jacked. And then, and that went on to win Olympic golds. And so those guys are swimming like a lane or two lanes next to me. And it's like, all right, like this is, this is the group I have to start thinking that I belong with. Yeah. And so like visually, I didn't feel like I belonged just because I was a twig. But but then it was like, all right, I, I do belong with these guys. Uh, and so it was, I could have kind of taken that, I think, as a, as a disappointment or I could have taken it as a confidence boost. And, and I definitely took it as a, as a confidence boost for, for moving forward in my career. So you get fourth and sixth. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Then what was the process leading up to actually going to Rio? Yeah, so so over those next four years, getting ready for for the 2016 trials, I, I moved out to to Cal and, and started training training here with with the college, and, and that was great. Like I, I started doing weight training, I started really focusing in on on the nutrition, the sleep, the recovery, learned a ton on on that side. And then in the water, it was kind of just like, keep on keeping on, you know, like trying to race people every day, trying to work on the technique, listening to coaches and, and just really making sure at the end of the day, you, you, you go behind the blocks and you have no regrets. That, that's kind of what, what my goal is all, every year, like no stone unturned, no mm-hmm. regrets. That, those, are, those are my goals. 
So going into 2016 Olympic trials, I mean, the, the, the competition was, was stacked. We had the, the guy who won the Olympic gold in, in the hundred back. We had the guy that won the Olympic gold in 2012. We had the guy who was the fastest time in the world that year so far. And then you had me. Oh my God. Yeah. So there I was, yeah. I was 20 and those guys were both 30. So, so big age gap there, but I kind of went in and I was like, I feel like if, if I do what, what I can do, I'll be in a good spot. And, and that's what I did. I kind of kept the focus on, on executing my race strategy and not trying to get like super daunted mm-hmm. by, by the competition. And, and it turned out great. And then, and then it qualified me to, to swim in Rio and the, and the 200 back was, was kind of a similar story. And, and I kind of approached that the same as well. So do you have any rituals beforehand? Is there anything that you do oh, yeah. to kind of like set up? Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think my, like my goal on, on race day is as little thinking as possible. Yeah. So like I'll, I'll write out my schedule. I'll, I'll put it on notes. I'll make it the background of my phone. Uh, just so like, I know like at what point during the day, I know exactly what I should be doing. Uh, and then getting into like getting in right behind the blocks, I'm always listening to music. Like I think, mm-hmm. yeah, so that's, and now I'm bringing it in your world. Yeah, uh, yeah. I just think like music is the easiest way to, to influence emotions. And, and so I'll, I'll listen to music and, and I'll listen to different music kind of based on, on how I'm feeling before a race. So like if I'm, if I'm super nervous, I'll listen to like, I like punk rock. So I'll yeah. listen to like punk rock. I go through country phases. Like I'm mm-hmm. not like hardcore country, but I'll, I'll listen to country sometimes before races if, if I'm nervous and if I'm feeling good, if I'm like feeling confident, I just want to get really pumped up. I'll listen to like house music yeah. or, or rap or, or something like that. And then I, oh, and then I got to give a shout out to my mom. Yes. So the other ritual I have is I always eat a peanut butter and jelly before I'm going over to the pool. Really? Uh, just cause that. Yeah, because that's what mama was made. How does that fit in your nutrition grid? You know, I think it, yeah, I just throw it out the window. It's like, yeah. this is this is something that's going to make me feel good. Day of the race, it's all about confidence. It's all about mm-hmm. being comfortable. Like the the work is all done at that point. I mean, I could be eating jelly beans before the race. I don't really think it's going to make a, yeah. a huge impact. Like it, it's really the work throughout the year that that's important. So the, the peanut butter and jelly, it's it's a comfort food for me and uh, and so I always have it. I love that. I, I have a couple of things like that. Pre going on stage, I've noticed I used to be, I could do anything and everything and then just roll up on the stage and it's no big deal. Well, as the scale of each show gets larger, there's more faces and the pressure gets a little bit bigger and there's an expectation and there's a mm-hmm. demand. And That's the only thing I like I try to do now is, I try to feed off the crowd as much as possible so that I could go through the first half of the race feeling so easy. Like that's, that's my goal. And so I think you really, you really can use it to your advantage. That's how when our first two show, or two songs of the set are the ones that are kind of the most alive and energetic. Mm-hmm. And I, I have to do that kind of same thing so that when I first start, I don't blow my voice out. Cause I'm like, you know, singing at the top of my lungs, feeding off the energy. It's like, I actually tell myself, uh, like whisper sing, like sing as soft mm-hmm. as you possibly can while still sounding big so that you don't just get all the adrenaline out on the, the top end of yeah, a two hour yeah. show. That's the exact, yeah, the exact same thought process there. Okay. Let's talk about 
while you're at the games, was that in Rio or in Tokyo when you did the relay and you got the world record, right? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So I let off on both of them, but I set the world record in, in 2016. Okay. And that's the one that like Michael Phelps was on. Yeah. So if that jogs the memory anymore. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So going into that one, I mean, relays are sweet. So mm-hmm. like relays talk about feeding off energy. Well, now like you're walking behind the blocks with, with three other guys, three other studs. Mm-hmm. And so like that as a whole other level of adrenaline. And then in that specific scenario, like adding the adrenaline of like, all right, like I'm swimming with Phelps. This is his last Olympic race ever. And like the guy can't go out with a silver. Like yeah. we're not going to yeah. let that happen. So that's a now a little bit more added energy. Uh, so for that one, I was very pumped up. And, and that, was, that was a really fun one to, to be a part of. It seems like you have a, such a good head on your shoulder about the pressure because you keep saying that you, you're taking these expectations like, okay, I'm swimming with Michael Phelps. I'm leading off and we don't want him to go out with a silver. And you're exchanging the pressure for energy, which is pretty amazing. That's amazing that it didn't overtake you. Do you get sick or anything before races? Do you ever get nervous or oh, are you kind of always in the zone? Yeah. Well, I, I get, I mean, I definitely get nervous. Uh, yeah. You, you're trying to, you're trying to manage that a little bit. When I was super young, I got really nervous. So probably the most nervous I ever got was like age 12 and under. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, a little bit weird, but like I would be go showing up to summer league championships and, and just like not be able to eat in the morning and like, feel like I'm going to throw up and, and have all of those sort of like feelings going on. Like now it's, it's kind of hard to tell the difference between nerves and excitement. Like yeah. it's all kind of, it all kind of feels the same. And so maybe, I don't know, maybe that means I'm like a psycho now, but uh, <laughs> I, like, I feel like you, when you start to get older, like I, I honestly can't tell the difference between being excited and being nervous. So yeah, that might be a little bit weird, but that's, no, that's where I, we're at now. <laughs> I think it's called being established. <laughs> like there's something yeah. about just the, the simple establishment of it. I've learned a lot about adrenaline. And when you use your adrenals so much, that that does start to happen. It just kind of becomes the same playing mm-hmm. field. But is there anything a coach ever said to you that just actually shook you to your core, changed your life? So like my coach, when I was kind of just starting out swimming, so the guy who started coaching me in summer league, and then he was my first coach when I started swimming year round, what he told me is he was like, you're not going to be able to go fast at a competition unless you're going really fast at practice. And so that, I mean, that's, that's something I've always taken. Like I, it doesn't really make a ton of sense to me. Like if I can't go fast in practice, how am I going to go fast in a meet? Mm-hmm. And so I really put a lot of effort into that, into that day to day to make sure I'm feeling the speed uh, as much as possible. The The next one would be my, my high school coach. The thing he always just said was, was believe. He was, he was from Spain. He was, he was a, a bronze medalist from Spain. Wow. So had a, a ton of pedigree himself, but he just said, you got to believe. And he, he'd always just say it like that. And I mean, after hearing it for, for five years, I'm like, holy yeah. cow, like, let's chill out a little bit here. Like I believe, <laughs> I believe, <Yeah. laughs> uh, but, but it's true. Like you're, you're not going to be able to do much without, without confidence. And then the, the coach I, I have right now, I mean, I think he, he stole this line from, from Ted Lasso. Best he, show. Best yeah. show. 
so a good. hell of a show. Yeah. But he just like, he was just like, look, you got to be a goldfish. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, that's, I mean, that, that's important too. Like, like you want to, you want to be really engaged on the day to day, but you also want to be present with what's going on right now. It doesn't matter like how things were going 30 seconds ago. I could be, be pretty present, be pretty mindful of, of what's going on now. So I think all of those are, are a little bit different areas of advice, but I mean, all of them are, are super valid to, to the day-to-day of swimming, but also the, the day-to-day of life. I love that. When you're, when you were in Tokyo, so you have the crowd in Rio, you can experience mm-hmm. all of it. Then you go to Tokyo and it's silent. Were some of the things that your coach has said, things that were going through your mind, what was that transition like? What was the difference between Rio and Tokyo like? Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, I mean, kind of getting back to the music thing, it's just like maybe crank up the headphones a little bit louder in, in Tokyo to, to try to, to try to manufacture that adrenaline in a, in a different way, instead of feeding mm-hmm. off people, feed off, feed off the emotions of music. So that's, that's something I, I was doing out there. But like, like racing is racing. Like that's, yeah. that's exciting. Like people, people watching it, like that, that obviously is fun. It, it helps. It's, it, it does add a layer of excitement, but like we're at, we're at the Olympics. Like that's, that's going to be that, that's about all the, all the pressure, all the excitement you really need. So I, I don't think it, it had a major impact, but I mean, definitely a little bit more interesting. Like after the races, like you could, you could really hear like other people's celebrations like even if I was in the in the stands watching, like I could sometimes hear these these guys or girls like yelling in the water, like slapping the water. Uh, so I, I thought that element was was pretty interesting and pretty cool. Where do you want to be in ten years? Do you want to be swimming still? Do you still want to be going to the Olympics, or oh. do you have? <laughs> I don't know. I yeah, I kind of operate on a uh, on the Olympic schedule, so we call it the quad. So like. I'll swim through through 2024. After 2024, I'll I'll kind of take a step back. I mean, look at how how everything's going. Like, is my is my body healthy? Like, mm-hmm. do I have injuries uh, mentally? Do I want want to do it? Am I am I excited about swimming as compared to like other opportunities yeah. in my life? Like, that's that's kind of how I look at things. I think no matter what, like I'm I'm gonna be involved in the swimming. I mean, mainly, mainly because of that philanthropic side, like I really want to continue to, to push the message of, of getting kids in the water, getting kids to learn how to swim and, and be safe in the water and hopefully do that with, with goldfish for a long time. So I'll always be involved, but I mean, 10 years from now, I don't know if it's going to be, I don't know if it's going to be me competing in the water anymore. Yeah. Gosh, that's a lot. That is a lot of dedication for so many years. How about how about you? How how long do you think you're gonna you're gonna be in in singing and, and performing? Well, I tell everybody I hope that I'm still singing like even until I die, basically. Like I want to mm-hmm. be singing to people on my deathbed when I'm like I'm leaving this world, but I'm so just, I'm gonna sing my way out of it. I love it so much, and it's very important now to be taking care of kind of what you're saying about nutrition, rest, recovery. Mm-hmm. I work with a vocal coach every single day. Like there is not a show that goes without her being with me. It's just to keep my cords healthy so that, you know, Dolly Parton, we did this event with Dolly Parton and she mm-hmm. sings just, I mean, her voice is just as rich as probably when she was 15 years old. It is unbelievable. And you you see these people that have 
saying for years and years and years, and their voices have withered. And I, I am always on the defense of trying to figure out how do I stop my voice from being gone when I'm 80 years old. Mm-hmm. I definitely hope that I'm still singing. I definitely hope I'm still doing shows and things like that. But I hope that I can evolve with time as well. I love acting and different things like that. So staying up front with the philanthropic stuff, uh, we have this organization called the Prize Fund that we love to help kids with music and different things. And so I, I think eventually I'd love to start building children's homes and things like that. So if that world takes off, I can see myself kind of heading there, but I don't, I hope I never stop singing. I hope I can do that literally until I die. What has been the highlight of your career so far? Like it could be in the water. It could be out of the water. It could be a moment in a race, anything that you find that's just a highlight that you often reflect upon. Ooh. All right, so I'll give I'll give two because I'm I can I can never narrow it down to one. Okay, All great. Right, so the first one's real quick. So in in Rio, the night of the night of the 200 back. So I I get done with the race. Right after the race, you go and you're you have to go to NBC interview immediately. The way the the seats were set up in Rio, the USA swimmers were like right above the NBC interview area. So I'm doing this this interview and and. Throughout the whole time, someone's going, Ryan, Ryan, Ryan. And I'm like, guys, like I'm doing an interview. Like I can't, I can't be like talking and answering a question. And so I look up and as I finished the interview, the person that was yelling Ryan at me the whole time was, was Matthew McConaughey. And he's, he's, he's holding an American flag and and he drops it down to me. Uh, So that was, that was a highlight. And then later he came into the, into the warm down area. And I just thought that was cool. Like some of the, some of the people that, that show up for the Olympics, it's like, this is, I mean, swimming doesn't get a ton of recognition. None of the Olympic sports are like, like get a ton of recognition outside of the Olympics. So for someone like that to, to actually be a fan, that was, that was something that was really cool. And then on a, on a career highlight perspective, I think it has to be the, the 400 medley relay in, in Tokyo. So that was at the end of the meet, like Tokyo was a, was a long meet. And so going to the end of that and, and we, we ended up winning gold, we set the world record and, and the guys were, the guys that were on that relay were great. Like Michael Andrews, someone who, who I've known throughout the years, uh, Zach Apple is someone who I've known throughout the years, but, but Caleb Dressel is someone that I, that I grew up with. Uh, so we both grew up in, in Jacksonville. Wow. Yeah. So I, so I met him when I was five. Okay. I grew up in the. Same, so talk about the same, like same pond, like that first pond I was talking about, River yeah. City Swim League. That's where, that's where he started swimming too. So I'm uh, just a year older than him. So, so he was always the year below me. Like oh I'd, I'd break some records the next year he'd go and break it. And, and now you kind of fast forward to now we're on an, an Olympic relay together representing the U S like that's, that's something that that's really cool. And not, and it's not like we were just on a relay together, like out of like, token, you know, like we, we set the world record and, and that's, that's something that's, that's really cool. So that one was, uh, that was incredible. And that was, I guess that's the last race I've done. That was insane to watch. He, Caleb, the U S had dropped to three Yeah. after mm-hmm. Michael. Right. Mm-hmm. And then Caleb bumped you guys back up to one. I was like, Holy cow. That yeah. was very beautiful to watch. Honestly, oh, I sat yeah, there the are amazed. So fun. It is. And I'm, I'm, my heart is pumping. 
like a million miles an hour. I'm thinking, how in the world are y'all containing yourselves in that pool? Whenever you're in the water and you're riding someone else's wave, are you, can you kind of look out the corner of your eye to see where other people are? Do you gauge or do you just stay in your head and say, I'm pushing as hard as possible? Yeah. So back, like when I'm on, when I'm doing backstroke, yeah. like I can't see people that are like ahead of me. Yeah. If I'm, if I'm winning, I could see people that are right next to me. So that's always a great spot to be in. Cause you could kind of, you kind of watch, but the other strokes you can, you could look around a lot. So backstroke, I'm, I could see people behind me. I could look on the turns and I do that. I'm not mm-hmm. supposed to, like the coaches say, don't do it, but it's like, I'm, I'm trying to feed off the competitiveness. Like yeah. that, that helps me push myself. So, uh, I definitely do. Like I do look around and, and that helps get me fired up. And the relays are sweet because like, we know, like we know what every country's strengths are. So like we knew going into that race, like, all right, like relatively, like we're better than Great Britain at the hundred back. Their hundred breaststroker guy is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Like two seconds better than like anyone else in the world. We knew Caleb was going to dominate. And then the freestyle is kind of, that's it's kind of a wash. So, but it, it is fun to watch those, those lead changes for sure. Yeah. It's a crowd booster. I'll say that. <laughs> I mean, sitting there watching it, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is a marvel. And that's that moment that you kind of get to how you started off the interview saying you love the sport because it all kind of rides on your shoulders. And that's like mm-hmm. a moment where you kind of get a little bit of the team dynamic, which is awesome. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's why it's, that's why that's fun. It's, yeah. it's very fun. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for your time. Thank you for being here. And uh, I hope that we get to see you in the pool sometime soon, 2024. It'll be here before we know it. That's right. Fingers crossed I make it. Yeah. I'll I'll be working for it. Um, Ryan, where can people find you? Yeah. So I've got a website, www.ryanmurphy.com. And then Instagram and Twitter are both Ryan underscore F underscore Murphy. I'm not sure what the Facebook one is, but if you look up Ryan Murphy, you'll you'll find me eventually. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you. Daigle Bites is an Amazon Music podcast hosted by me, Lauren Daigle, and produced by Elizabeth Evans Media Productions. I'm Lauren Daigle. For more interviews and thought-provoking conversations, and to listen to every episode, follow us here exclusively on Amazon Music. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to Daigle Bites ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com survey. Hey, this is Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier Podcast, where twice a week I speak to meditation teachers, top research scientists, and even the odd celebrity about how to do life better. And on a recent episode, I spoke to the huge global pop star Dua Lipa about how she does her own life. What are the non-negotiable practices and principles for her? Those are just like life things that I like to live by. Uh, never do the same job twice and never leave today's thing for tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Those are really important things. The episode is uh, incredible and actually quite practical, especially when it comes to creativity. Is it true that in typical overachiever fashion, you wrote 97 songs for this record? (laughs) 
Yeah, I, I, I wrote 97 songs. We wrote a lot of songs, but not all of them are good. You know, that's the other thing. Like, I have to write myself into a good idea. To listen to this episode and more, follow 10% Happier on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to 10% Happier early and ad-free right now on Wondery Plus.